Hello, 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 and welcome to a new episode of Radio Nerd. Uh, first off, I'm just going to do a little bit of housekeeping and uh, apologize for missing last week. Um, unfortunately, uh, I've been going through some stress-related illness, uh, specifically migraines, which I've gotten for the entirety of my life, so there's no need to uh, sort of get recommendations or anything on that. I know what I have to do. It's just... Uh, process of going through pain and uh, money. Uh, so that's always fun. Uh, but back to what we were talking about here, uh, housekeeping. Um, it's actually made me think about it a little bit. And I think that post exams, I might move the uh, move the, the, the podcast to a, a biweekly schedule. That's once every two weeks, not once or not twice a week. Um, <laughs> that would be a bit much. Uh, that way it would give me a little bit more time to work on podcasts. I can hopefully um, work on uh, my Instagram as well as work on the uh, format of the podcast, editing of the podcast. I'd like to put like a an opening sequence as well, which would be cool, um, as well as to... Uh, you know, give me more time to set up interviews and stuff like that. I think that last week went really well with Becca, and it was nice to have someone else recording and to talk with them th about stuff, and I think I would like to do that more often, though that does not mean that the episodes by myself where I talk to the void will be going away. Um, instead, it's more just, you know, um, I'm going to be branching out and doing more different things and experimenting a little bit. Um, I also uh, don't know if I'll be able to continue to be using Radio Nerd as the uh, title or not. I need to uh, contact uh, Radio Laurier and talk through some stuff with them and figure out uh, how those things are going to be going. Um, I'm looking into a number of different ideas. Uh, I've been given some great advice by people uh, about uh, where to go with the podcast, and it's all things that I just need to decide about. Um, basically, just stay tuned to the Instagram. Um, I have not been as diligent at uh, checking the uh, ch checking the email as I perhaps should have been. But to be honest, I do not think, yeah, I don't, I haven't gotten any actual emails other than Instagram updates. So I think it will be fine to leave the email as it is. Um, but I might need to change the name of uh, the Instagram as well as the name of the podcast, possibly. Um, but I'm going to keep the same Instagram account no matter what. I think you can change Instagram account names. I hope you can. I'm pretty sure I've seen people change Instagram account names, and I'm assuming I'll be able to. Um, so just uh, keep an eye on the Instagram. Again, uh, at radio underscore nerd, W-L-U. Um, yeah, feel free to check it out there. Any changes as to where the podcast is being hosted, as to the podcast's name, um, changes to schedule, um, and I'm hoping to um, get better at doing uh, uploads or post uh, uploads. I think it'll be easier for me when I have full control over when I'm uploading uh, episodes for me to be on top of that. It's a little bit more difficult when 
uh, someone else is taking care of that. Um, but it'll be easier for me to do that. And I've been working on a, uh, a sort of template for each of the uh, uploads. And then on top of that, I hope to be uh, posting more on the Instagram, uh, whether that's stories or um, actual posts. I haven't really come to a solid conclusion as to what I want to do, um, but it should involve more uh, like sharing of content and more um, sort of just embracing the general feel of the show. And I'll be able to swear. So, <laughs> so there's that. Um, but it has been a really great experience. I don't want to um, like put any damper on uh, Radio Laurier. If you are interested in um, running a podcast and you go to Laurier, um, then I would definitely uh, say that it would be a, a great uh, opportunity to work with Radio Laurier. Um, they're really great. And it's been uh, very enjoyable uh, working with them so far. Uh, I'm asking like this is the last episode. I'll have an episode next week as well. I'll have to figure out what that episode is because I have not done that. And it's been a hectic week. Anyways, um, what are we talking about today? Today we're going to be talking about censorship. We're going to be talking about death of the author. Um, we're going to start with death of the author and we're going to sort of talk about some misconceptions about what people think it is. Um, why that doesn't really matter all that much because the conversation surrounding death of the author is perhaps more important than defining what it is. Um, and then we're going to talk about a little bit about how censorship fits into this and sort of talk about some sort of ideas. To be honest, um... This is a, a topic that I do talk about pretty often with people and that it, it comes to mind fairly often, especially with uh, specific um, authors and creators who uh, I will talk about, uh, who will be in the um, in talking about it. But it, it comes up with me because I'm a huge Tolkien fan. And Tolkien had some questionable views on um the world uh both uh questionable views on um race uh questionable views on good and evil questionable views on uh gender roles as well and there's a lot of things to unpack i still do love lord of the rings and tolkien's world building and i've read a lot of the books that surround it ones um published by his uh posthumously by his um his son Christopher Tolkien um and uh, i think that in many ways Tolkien himself grappled with issues that he put in his books later on in the life which makes it a little bit easier to accept that he was open to that criticism and i think that i respect more his willingness to be open about that whether or not he was open about all of those things is um, up in the air. But there are definitely um, instances where in his life where he has been actively racist or uh, misogynistic. And that in some ways he is a product of the time that he lived and the time that he was alive in. And in some other ways he could have had the opportunity to rise above those. But I don't know if condemning a person for being 
part of the time that they lived in is something that I want to do. It's also something that I don't know if I'm 100% qualified to talk about because I'm not a woman and I am white. So if you choose to dislike Tolkien and hate all of the works that he has worked on because of his actions, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's perfectly fine. If your opinion on him is like that, I think that there is a complicated relationship between me and the author, but that the works itself do still inspire me and inspire the fantasy genre as a whole, which is something that I very much so enjoy and I'm passionate about. So, getting away from my little blurb about myself and why this is important to me, we're going to talk about what death of the author is. So, um, there's a there's an author, or sorry, um, a um, an article uh, in the Michigan Daily on their website that I read about uh, uh, from last year. Uh, that's uh, an opinion column about we must stop getting death of the author wrong. That's the title. And it's talking about how the death of the author is actually referring to how a reader um, tackles with and interprets a text. So we're going to get into some English terms here because these kind of uh, can apply very broadly to um, a ton of different types of media. And the... uh, key here is that uh, I'm going to use the word text. Text doesn't just mean a book. Text can mean movies. Text can mean uh, video games. Text can mean uh, lots of different things. Um, And we're going to talk about uh, some uh, things outside of the outside of literature, even though literature sort of takes the the front seat in this uh, um, specific uh, issue because uh, we're referring to authors more clearly. It sort of expands out from that because there are multimedia uh, properties nowadays that expand out from a starting book or a starting source. Um, but essentially, the death of the author is about the 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 interpretation of a text by a reader and by many different readers together creating an interpretation the death of the author is really about the birth of the reader that's directly from this um opinion piece and i think it uh, it uh succinctly sort of shows you what it's about it uh originally was created by um french structuralist and post-structuralist critic uh roland barthes i probably said that wrong but um He's apparently taking about, uh, he's talking about a specific, um, a specific occasion of a story that involved um, young boys being castrated so that their voices would, uh, this is a story, not real life, but... um, being castrated so that their voices would stay at a certain octave and therefore create more beautiful music. And what Barthes, Barthes, I don't know. I don't know French. I'm going to butcher their name. Um, But what Barthes uh, was essentially saying is that your interpretation of the text is not necessarily the author's interpretation of the text. 
and what we create when we participate in the death of the author is an interpretation by a reader. Now, that is very different from what we think of nowadays as death of the author. How we conceptualize it now is... Uh, we Well, actually, let's go back. I, I just want to talk about this intersection. Um, I missed a point that I had written down here. So essentially... We're looking at the intersection between the author's work, which is the text, and the reader's interpretation of the work. So the, the text on, on its own can be uh, looked at and analyzed from a literary perspective. And then you can also get different readers to interpret that text and how they saw the text as being. And that's death of the author because the author ceases to be a um, part of that uh, of that uh, yep get your thoughts Kiefer okay ceases to be a part of that relationship because it's between the reader and the text not between the reader and the author um, and it's a way of sort of um, examining that text on its own what lots of people then think about uh it nowadays in popular conception we think of death of the author more as removing an author from their work and therefore ignoring the author's um more shall we say colorful um ideas about things and that's not necessarily what death of the author is about Death of the author is more just about like focusing on the reader rather than the author. There is an element to literary critique which focuses on the author and the author's beliefs and what the author may have been thinking of while they were creating a um, a work. Death of the author is supposed to be a different sort of lens to use to examine literary works. Instead, what we see it being used as is an attempt to remove an author from its work so that the work stands on its own, which is incorrect when we're trying to refer to it, but it is sort of... Um, it comes back to our wish as a society to critique not just the text, but also the people behind the text. Um, and to go through the process of wondering whether or not those people are re uh, required to create that art. Um, but with our ideas about it now, and our ideas about how it's removing the author from the work because of the author's questionable um, opinions, questionable uh, views on things, perhaps cancelable views, uh, it creates conversations about censorship. And it creates conversations about who has the both responsibility and also has the... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Who has the responsibility and who has the authority to say what can and cannot be written or to remove works of fiction from the people who wrote them? It's a complex issue, one that I think at the end of the day, I don't know where I stand. Because 
I am the type of person who, if I cannot reconcile the person who created a piece of art with their art and my views towards it, I will stop indulging in that art. And we're going to get to a conversation about that in a little bit. But what we get now is as soon as a topic comes up where someone questions whether or not we should be indulging someone who may have created something beautiful but has very terrible views on the world. You know, newsflash, the most terrible person you know created something incredible. What is the ownership to that if that person should not be given a platform because of it? Should that work stand on its own? Should we not think about the people who create our art and our uh, entertainment especially uh, because I think that more often than not nowadays um, entertainment rather than art and I think of them as two separate things I'll put that out there um, entertainment rather than art informs our worldviews especially when we're watching TV shows um, is Buffy the Vampire Slayer colored in some ways because we now know how vile and misogynist its creator is um will oh no what's his name shoot one sec joss whedon i found it joss whedon i was about to say will wheaton but that's completely wrong name joss whedon now that we know that he's a huge misogynist and that he's been called out repeatedly for his uh actions on sets and um, pushed in many ways out of uh, Hollywood. Should we call into um, interview some of his works? Should we think about what Buffy the Vampire Slayer was trying to say? Should we look at the differences in costume between when he um, he was doing um, the Justice League original movie? Uh, not the Zack... Um, cut obviously but uh that Zack Snyder cut but like the original one uh as compared to Wonder Woman how the Amazons look how the outfits are skimpier should that be a topic of criticism just as much as the actual end product I think these are important questions to think about but then we also get into um this is where sort of politics comes into play because you get people um, like the people who were in the Freedom Convoy this year in Canada here, um, who will cry wolf whenever they think that someone's freedoms, uh, big F freedoms, um, are being infringed, even though I don't think anybody's freedoms are being infringed. And this is where we get into censorship, and we get into this idea that um, people think of pitchfork twitter mobs as being censorship when they might not be or they may be i guess it would depend on your interpretation and your own worldview you could call them censorship because in many ways they perform the same actions but it's also there's a difference between the court of public opinion and censorship I think there's a, a big difference between ideas becoming stale and dying and not 
being accepted anymore as in the public consciousness versus censorship. Censorship is deliberate and involves organized use. I don't think censorship can really be um, perpetrated by a like semi-collective group on the internet. I think instead censorship is something that we should be fearing from uh, large corporations and government entities. That's sort of the people I think of as being uh, perpetrators of censorship. And generally speaking, those people are on a very specific end of the political spectrum, one that is occupied by those same people who were in Ottawa early last month uh, crying about freedom. And the problem here is that it sort of, though that yelling match between those people who are like, this person should not have a pedestal because they're spewing hate. And those people who say that 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 person has the freedom to do it because they have that pedestal and because they have the freedom to say whatever they want, which we'll get into in a minute because I think the idea of people, uh, of freedoms has gone a little bit too far. People think that they are free to do whatever, but also free from the consequences of that. Your rights and freedoms come with the effects that you are responsible for the consequences that come from in you, from using your freedoms. And I think that that is implied and that a lot of people have forgotten that. I guess I'm just talking about this now instead of going into the side bit. But I think what ends up happening is that these conversations overshadow the conversations that should be being had about the agendas that authors have and how some authors go into a work with a specific agenda and that agenda shows up in their work. So let's quickly just go into the idea of censorship because, you know, um, we'll talk about it. Um, there is general censorship that happens within our world. Um, usually... Uh, over reasons like national security, which, uh, I mean, we can argue about whether or not that is a useful reason, or to control obscenity, pornography, and hate speech, uh, to protect children in vulnerable groups, to promote or restrict religious uh, or political views, and to prevent slander and libel. Um, slander and libel, I think, are not valid reasons to use censorship. I'm just going to go out and say that because I think that the ability to sue someone for saying something slanderous or libel uh, in itself is a protection against that. And that being able to prove that someone said those things by just being like, here, they said it on this TV show or on this periodical, blah, 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 is just as good as trying to get rid of it all by itself. In fact, I think it's better because it gives you a consequence. Like I said, consequences are important in my opinion. Censorship to protect against hate speech is very important because until we live in a f fictional future world where we do not have discrimination against marginalized peoples, I don't think we will ever need or we will ever not need those protections against hate speech there's always going to be people who hate other people for reasons deeply ingrained and 
uh, discriminatory in nature. Um, promoting or restricting political or religious views is slightly different, but I think that we've started to affiliate political views with hate and with concepts of... Um, I think religious views shouldn't be um, restricted at all. Um, but political views, I think... We need to reanalyze what we think of as a political and what the realm of the political is. And until we do that, I think restricting political views is going to be a hot-button issue that is going to be something um, that is um, problematic to talk about, let's just say. So... We have this, and then we have the difference between that and the marketplace of ideas, is what I'm going to call this next sort of uh, thing. The marketplace of ideas is basically like a concept um, that refers to the idea that, like I said before, that ideas sometimes die and go away, and they become uh, things that people don't actively embrace. These can be as broad as ideas about race, sexual orientation and uh, religious affiliation to things as small as what a book series is about and then what the author thinks of that book series. Now, in many ways, people put um, authors on pedestals, especially when they are famous or they are um, read by a lot of people. And, especially, and when they become so... Uh, ingrained in part of our pop culture, we get to the point where they're sort of stuck in the social consciousness. And the marketplace of ideas is a concept that I don't know if it works anymore. I think in some ways, these things are going to be with us as part of history. And assuming that they die and go away... I, is sometimes problematic. Racism hasn't died and got away. Racism has just become less accepted to be outwardly um, shown. And I think even that is a bit of a stretch saying that because we clearly have seen those things. Going back to the trucker protest again, there were people walking around with Southern crosses, uh, which are the Confederate flag, or Nazi flags flying free, and those are symbols of hate. Those are symbols that are of regimes and organizations that hated others for a variety of reasons that we now uh, view as being negative. Yet, people who supported those convoys were very quick to say that those people were small numbers, and that they didn't represent the greater whole. But famously said, I can't remember who, and I apologize because it's a great quote, but if there is a table with 11 people on them and one person's a Nazi and the other 10 are not, there is a table with 11 Nazis in it. Because if you allow someone with those hateful beliefs to be in your organization, to be participating with you, then 
you are condoning the views that they have that they may say while being a part of your organization or a part of your protest. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't understand is that because it doesn't affect them as predominantly white people who have protected these people, they do not see it as something that they need to distance themselves from. And instead, they are confident that they are fine in being like, no, no, they're not with me. They can stand beside me, but they're not with me. But because you don't immediately get rid of that person and exile them from your group, remove the symbol of hate, you allow that symbol of hate to be seen by people who have been directly affected by that symbol of hate, who have had people harmed or killed who have trauma about that symbol of hate. This is getting into like, I'm, I'm, I'm popping back and forth between the convoy and talking about death of the author, but I think these things are all sort of interlocked because we're talking about censorship. When we're talking about how there are some ideas and some uh, ideologies specifically whose main goals are an antithesis to our rights and beliefs that we have as societies. And the fact that we then do not push back against those things because they cloak themselves in those same rights and freedoms and ideologies, we create diseases within our society. I think going back to um, another thing that a lot of people sort of uh, paint with the censorship brush is boycotts and boycotts as censorship. Boycotts in many ways are um, something that uh, is important for people to show their views and to affect uh, in our unfortunately capital late capitalist society, it's a way for individual or for uh, normal people to affect change on a bigger scale. So if people are boycotting a book, uh, boycotting everything that's related to that, they're doing so because they see that that creator as having done something negative. When Blizzard, uh was sued and I read that document, I uninstalled all my Blizzard games. Even though many Blizzard games mean a lot to me in my childhood, some of the old games I still have and I own on CD, I haven't really played any of them since then, even though sometimes I've thought about it. Because I don't know how to feel about those games knowing that the people who created it and who participated in it have done things like that. I don't know how to feel yet, and I don't know how to reconcile that with my enjoyment. And if more people had this conversation, perhaps we would have more ethical corporations out there. I think boycotts are the perfect way to show that you are unhappy with a corporation's values or policies because you are hitting them in the place that they care the most about, which is money. Unfortunately, as that statement, uh, you know, is incredibly unfortunate, I think, 
Um, these companies need to be shown that they can't get away with things to a certain degree and that they need to be moral or ethical with the things that people care about. Now, also, you know, creating unions and things like that are also a great move for stuff like that. But as an individual consumer, boycotts are the best way to make your voice be heard. Calling that censorship is so wrong and also at the same time just self-flat... No. It's limiting on the power of the individuals and the power of a collective as well. It's basically saying, no, you can't do that because you're infringing on someone else's rights to say something or to do something or to act in the world. But we live... We live in a society, Jesus, um, we live in a society that always is pushing on each other, that's always pushing its beliefs on each other as we go throughout our daily lives, whether it's what the news chooses to show you or the images or sorry, the ideologies that are underneath the surface of that TV show that you watch. I'm going to be doing a future episode on um, really examining uh, the Big Bang Theory and as a show that sort of gives a glimpse into nerdy culture, what the choices they make within that show as show creators mean to people who are nerdy who are watching that. And I think it's really important to be thinking about this when we are watching our things. The things that we enjoy and the things that we also put on pedestals. Whether that's entertainment, those are the things we enjoy. Or art, the things that we put on pedestals. I said that I separated them and that's sort of like a working definition for how I separate them. Um, so where am I taking all this? We're going into the this idea of um, I've talked about this before, but I have like nerd communities self-policing. And by policing, I don't mean like policing in the sense that police do, right? I mean showing other people in the community that the community itself has values and that if someone steps over that value, you need to talk to and confront, not in a... Uh, not in a negative way, but in a way to be like, hey, this is how we think about things. And what you're doing right now is infringing on those ideas. If you want to continue to be part of this community, you need to know that we have specific beliefs that you need to respect. And if you continue to do that, you won't be part of this community anymore. That's what I mean by community self-policing. It's a conversation, not an argument and not... Uh, an outright um, throwaway. But if someone, you know, it, there needs to be a conversation with very clear, um, I wonder if that got picked up. I don't know. Anyways, with very clear um, 
concepts about what happens when you uh, go against what the community is believing in. Um, whether that is pushing those people out of the community because they continue to spew hate or whether that is talking to them and attempting to see where they're coming from and see where that hate is boiling up from and helping them move through that. It can come in many different forms and you do not need to involve harsh punishments when you are policing your own community. I think in many ways... The idea of policing has become so twisted and different and confused to people that they see it as someone with authority pressing their authority down on them, down on someone else. But that's not policing, that's oppression. And we don't want to build communities where we are oppressive to those who think differently than them than us. We want to build communities where we can talk that out and see where they're coming from. Perhaps they're just dealing with something they need to need help to deal with. Perhaps they are misinformed. Perhaps we're misinformed. And the thing that we thought that they were saying was hateful was actually not. And they were bringing up a valid point. I'm not saying that happens every time and I'm not condoning anybody for saying anything like that. But I'm saying that sometimes we can confuse what seems like hateful speech for valid criticism. And that is the reason why it can't just be one person telling us everything. It needs to be a community working together. A community working together to figure out what is going on. Because there are dangers in going too far. We start to be labeled as a group. And by that, I mean left-leaning folks, um, socialists, anarchists, communists, leftists of all shapes, you know? We start being labeled as people who are censoring others. We start being labeled, as wrong as it may be, we start being labeled these things. And as we know, as many people in marginalized communities know, labels have limited uses that become less and less so important when we get down to individuals. And we need to continue to strive hard against being labeled as these things because we are not going to get people on our side if we're constantly being, if they're constantly being berated and told that we are judgmental and we are elitist or sensory or whatever, whatever term that uh, right-wing people want to use towards left-wing people. Sometimes capitalism has elements that work here. There are there is a certain amount that I can say that people not buying a book or boycotting a book is an element that should be embraced within capitalist culture. Getting, people have revived and doomed television series because of their beliefs that, that, that what it is saying should be said or shouldn't be said. I think that's with capitalism dialed back a little bit and not to the point that it is now because there are corporations that can just throw money at ideas 
and then leave it to fester and then maybe stop throwing money at it, but it's still out there. The Netflix model, right? Netflix throws monies, money at uh, TV shows, and if it gets somewhat decent views, it gets a season two. If it doesn't, it doesn't. They make these choices all the time about what gets more views and what doesn't. And it's all based on money. But the problem there is that lots of views can be thrown out there that perhaps do not reflect the main population and just had someone who decided that uh, they wanted to make a, a TV show on this and they, you know, had a great pitch for Netflix. And Netflix has so much money they don't care. The problem with that is then you get things that come out that are very questionable in the eyes of a lot of people and get canceled within one season but are still out there and in the public consciousness. Sometimes, though, books do not get bought or TV shows do not get watched. And sometimes those things can be pushed away and out of the public consciousness. It's an interesting balancing act, I think. And it's something that is important to think about. Where is this all going and why did I sort of start talking about it? I think I've been dancing around it enough that I can just say J.K. Rowling. And you would all understand why I am talking about this. And it's because J.K. Rowling comes back into the news every so often like... Uh, one of the dead pets in Pet Cemetery keeps coming back to life and continues to um, spout, spout her very anti-trans, uh, specifically, views on things. Now, my story with Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling... Uh, goes back to when I was younger, and I was a huge fan of Harry Potter. It's still all up there in my mind. I used to have all of the books. I read all of the books. I was at the midnight release for the last book, uh, Deathly Hollows, and I, I like read it all in less than a day because I was so excited to want to get into it and go through it. I watched every single Harry Potter movie in theaters. Um. And it was a thing that I was obsessed with for a long period of time. Had a couple of birthday parties that were Harry Potter themed. But as I became an adult, and actually starting before J.K. Rowling started to have her more questionable things, J.K. Rowling did a thing where she would tweet out about things in her books. She confirmed that Dumbledore was gay through those tweets, talked about Hermione maybe being black, all these different things that she never actually put in her book and that she was just sort of virtue signaling, essentially, in order to seem like she had those inclusive things. And when she started doing those things, I started thinking about the books themselves and the foundation of the book, the world-building and a lot of the questions behind it as to what was being said in the book. If you haven't noticed, J.K. Rowling has a tendency to put token characters in her books. She has no queer characters. 
if you don't if unless you count Albus Dumbledore, which if you do, it is a token character. She has one black character mentioned by name, not including Hermione, because it's not talked about in the books, to be quite frank. Yes, it is ambiguous, but technically she never says that Harry Potter is white either, if I recall correctly. She doesn't really use those words. Not that that's a bad thing, but it's usually a thing done by white authors when they assume all their characters are white. She does, however, very clearly name characters who are of specific racial minorities by names that you could qualify them as. Um, the one character that Harry dates in uh, Order of the Phoenix, her name is Chow Chang. She's the only Asian character in Harry Potter ever mentioned. And her name is practically... It, it could be a name but feels very racially charged in many respects. She puts tokenized characters in her books. And when I started to realize this, I started to have more prob find more problems in the book. Um, whether it is the portrayal of uh, Mudbloods as almost like a stand-in for racial... Um, uh, racial attitudes, but done in a way that is so clearly from a privileged position that it is a trope almost as a non-magical population being seen as inferior to the depiction of Death Eaters in almost KKK-esque gear just to signal that these guys are fully the bad guys. The lack of complexity in there, combined with all of these other issues, led me to start not liking Harry Potter as much. I haven't rewatched any of the movies since then. I haven't read any of the books since then. I didn't fully get rid of any of my Harry Potter things yet. I just became kind of disillusioned with it. And then her anti-trans speeches and her issues with people um, and gender and her uh, becoming a turf icon, I guess, now put the cherry on top of the cake of me not liking Harry Potter anymore. And so I got rid of the books. I don't I got rid of any of my copies of the movies. You know, I got rid of any of the sort of merch that I had. I stopped associating with it. And I stopped associating as strongly with people who still saw it as an important thing to them. Because of all of those things that I had seen in it. And that's not necessarily death of the author. That is me seeing something that I enjoyed when I was younger realizing that it's not something that aligns with my values anymore and getting rid of it. That's not censorship either. That's an individual personal choice. But talking about it now, someone is going to think that I am talking about censoring something because they don't understand the differences between these ideas. And that's sort of where a lot of this um, 
discourse comes from. There was an ad in the New York Times where that the New York Times did that uh, J.K. Rowling uh, uh, should be sort of like Harry Potter should be removed from its creator. Um, people called it canceling. People called it censorship. People defended J.K. Rowling on mass. Uh, lots of people defended the ads as well, for that matter. There's a big hubbub, and that was earlier this year, uh, talking about what does it mean to remove an author from their work? And I really don't know what the answer is to that. Another author that I personally really dislike is Orson Scott Card, the person who wrote the Ender's Game series of novels. Ender's Game is apparently, because I haven't read it, very good. I've been recommended it by a number of people. And this is one of those situations where Orson Scott Card is a terrible human being who was a vehement uh, homophobe and anti-LGBTQ activist. He lobbied for things. He threw his opinions around about uh, gay marriage and things like that at the time when he was living, um, which isn't uncommon for the time, but he was particularly uh, he was particularly vocal against his uh, for his um, his views. Yet he created Ender's Game, and Ender's Game, by lots of people that I respect the opinions of, is an incredible book series that is very good. That you know is very. Uh, it, he actually continues to be. Now that I think about it, Orson Scott Card's not dead, so I don't know why. But um, his uh, the only problem with his series is again, he his homophobic views do come through in parts of his book, but a lot of his book is really good at talking about the sort of issues of war and dealing with things like PTSD um, in his later years and nowadays. Uh, he is very much so an active right-wing um, sort of figure who really... Um, well, he voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Um, not because he specifically liked Trump. He was part of the hold your nose, vote Trump section of Republican voters. Those people, uh, <laughs> those people, uh, were people who were like, you might not like Trump, but we need to win because we're Republican. So just vote for him anyways. Um, his sort of views are neoconservative, uh, or moral conservative is what he has described himself as. That's a social conservative for that matter. Someone who is, um, you know, homophobic, probably racist, has specific ideas about uh, how the state should be influencing, uh, people's, uh, daily lives. But yet, to all intents and purposes, he has created something that is a great piece of art. And we come to this moment in that, you know, I have not read the books. So I don't 100% know if I would be offended by the things he has put in his books. But at the same time, 
I struggle with giving time and energy to someone who has those views, especially views that are specifically targeted at me and people who are similar to me. That, you know, like, it makes me think about other books and series and stuff like that as well. Um, Niantic Games comes to mind here. I believe that's what they're called. It's a French gaming studio. Yeah. A French gaming studio that has come under fire uh, in many different ways uh, because of um, different lawsuits caused by... Oh, wait, wait. No, it's not Niantic. Oops. Sorry, it was a Quantic Dream is the studio. They're a French gaming uh, company who have come under fire because of a lot of um, issues with regards to how they, um, uh, well, how their uh, main uh, founder, David Cage, treats uh, people in the workspace. Um, edits and uh, there's a lot you can look into it yourself uh quantic dream but quantic dream has made some games like detroit become human and uh, beyond two souls which are in all intents and purposes pretty good games but it brings into question something like detroit become human which is about racism to have been written and created by people who have been accused of racism and sexism within the culture of their workplace, it becomes a question of what is this actually about? Is this an effort to satiate people for something they want and to perhaps subtly put your own views into it? Or is it perhaps just capitalistic greed trying to piggyback on ideas that can sell because progressive ideas are popular among younger people who want to play video games. I don't know. I really don't know the answer to this question as to what we should be doing. I think community self-policing is very important, but I think it also goes larger than that because these things are out there in the world we get into massive online arguments every time jk rowling sprouts up in twitter and talks about something where people are like we shouldn't be talking about harry potter anymore other people are like i love harry potter let's remove it from or let's remove it from the author and other people saying we can't do that that's censorship no matter what the beliefs are behind the people who are supporting each of them, because I'm sure there are people who are um, who are saying we can't remove J.K. Rowling because it's censorship, who also don't agree with what J.K. Rowling says. There are also people there who think that what J.K. Rowling says is true, and they're horrible transphobes. The problem becomes that we get into these massive battles and we never have a conversation about what this is actually about. We never actually sit down and talk about these things. And I don't know the solution to that. I don't know the solution to a problem where we cannot talk collectively as a society anymore about things without screaming. And I'm not saying that's someone's fault, particularly because there are groups within that screaming match who have absolutely no respect 
for other people who are speaking from uh, places of trauma and pain. I don't know the tone of this episode, to be honest, and how to really end this, other than to say that I think this needs to continue to be something we talk about. We need to keep talking about why it's such a problem that we put people who have these views on pedestals. We need to keep talking about being critical about the things you love. And I've said that on previous podcasts. I loved Harry Potter. It was fantastic. But I looked at it closer. And I re-examined it. And I decided it wasn't something I needed in my life anymore. And it wasn't something that I was going to be obsessed with because of those questionable things. And I think we need to do more of that as a society. As individuals, we need to do more of questioning whether or not those things that we put on pedestals deserve to be on pedestals. Whether or not anything deserves to be on a pedestal. Even art. Whether it's art or entertainment... Because I've thrown those words around and I've talked about how I separate them. And lots of people don't separate them. I think we need to... We need to talk more about this. I'm going to end there. Because, you know, it's a conversation. Jeez, that's like the tagline. This is a conversation. That's the tagline for my podcast, apparently. I will keep you guys all updated on the Instagram about what's going on and about where things are going with the podcast. Uh, so follow me on Instagram at uh, radio underscore nerd WLU. Um, and yeah, message me if you if this is something that you just uh, want to talk about. If you think that I'm wrong in me saying that there is that this is a hard issue and it's ambiguous in certain extents then feel free to reach out if you agree with me feel free to reach out if you think that i'm a leftist censoring person maybe keep your comments to yourself but you can reach out if you really want to i don't care i'll just ignore you <laughs> <laughs> Terrible conversation. This is a terrible conversation, apparently. Uh, I just don't really want you to send me hate mail. That doesn't sound like a fun time. Uh, But you can if you truly feel like you need to. Um, Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, like I I keep saying, you know, this is something that we need to keep open as lines of communication. Well then, have a good one.